This is Cost Talk with Evan Kostman, and you are listening to episode 16. This episode is the second half of the interview with Blake Murphy, managing editor of Raptors Republic. We literally pick up right where we left off in the last episode, so if you haven't heard that, go back to the last episode and check it out. You can find it everywhere podcasts can be found, including where you are probably listening to this from. Just one quick programming note, we might take a week off, we might not. We'll see how the schedules work out. I'm close to closing something outside of the podcast, and if I do, you'll all be the first to hear. So with that, let's dive right into the interview. First, the shams dunking over Woj's entire offseason might have been my favorite part more Dude, than the transactions. Man, I'm not sure anyone works as hard as Shams, man. Like, really? I saw him in Summer League, and, like, I didn't even get a chance to say hi. Like, every time I turn around, he's talking to a different person. Like, that guy grinds so hard. I, like, didn't know he existed until, like, the first tweet that came out, and then it was 20 after. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? He's killing Woj. From the vertical, his old place. Yeah. And that was just so funny. Yeah, he, and he's like a great story because he started out just on Real GM. Oh, really? He was just like, give me an opportunity. He was a college student at the time. And mm. he just like worked agents and, and just like, like outworked everyone. That's really cool. Yeah. And he was like, he didn't have a formal basketball like come up or anything like that. Like Woj was a columnist before. So, you know, mm. you build relationships that way. Sean's just like outworked everyone, man. Good for him. Yeah. He's an inspiration. And the second thing, so you said it's fun seeing people interact at Summer League. It's sort of like a collection of the entire NBA in one place. What's it like being like, maybe even like a fly on the wall, seeing everybody interact with everyone? What do you take away from that? All those type of things. Yeah, it's funny. You get to know, like you from afar, you get to know the players a little bit better just because like you see how they act outside of a, a locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean like I see them at the casino or the club or anything like that. But, like, I, I think I tweeted about this or mentioned it on a podcast. Like, the degree to which everyone around the league loves Bebe is crazy. Like, mm-hmm. I, so I – a couple times now I've gone and I'll ask new guys, like, just generally it's kind of an icebreaker. Like, who have you gotten to know? Like, have you hung out with any of the guys? Are you getting to know anyone? Um, and, like, without question the last two years, everyone said Bebe first. Mm-hmm. And, like, Bebe wasn't playing the last two years. He was just, like, around practicing and, like, being a good dude. And, like, I've had agents tell me he'll, like – come to the agents after practice and like, hey, your guy's doing well. I'm filling them in on how their guys are doing, helping the guys that have language barriers and stuff like that. Mm. And then another one this year was Kennedy Meeks is like the most popular person on the planet. Really? Like, Jay Cole came to a summer league game just to watch Kennedy Meeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had a concert the night before, but like, everyone loves that dude. I, I... Hope he's okay. Like, he signed an Exhibit 10 deal, which means he, if he agrees to go to the 905 and clears waivers, he'll yeah. get a 50000 bonus right. on top of the D-League salary. I keep saying D-League, G-League. Yeah, I'm hoping he's down there because, like, he, he'll be a good quote. And, like, he's a fun guy to have around. And he's mm-hmm. a North Carolina guy, too. So him and Stack probably have a nice relationship. Yeah, so you get to see little things like that. And there's not a ton, like... Oh, the one thing, too, was I saw... This is... It's awful that I didn't follow on this. I was talking to someone in underneath the arena after one of the games, and I saw Masai and Sean Marks get in an elevator together. Oh. And like an hour later, the Dwight Carroll news came out. Seriously? And I'm like, man, like, I don't know what to do. Should I chase them? Should I like, <laughs> stalk them? Like, what's going on? And like, they walked by, and I didn't think anything of it. And then like an mm-hmm. hour later, it's like, oh, yeah, Dwight Carroll's going to trade the Nets. Like, oh. So sometimes guys are just catching up. But, and it, it almost hits a point where, like, you can get too suspicious about stuff or like you see two guys talking and you're like, what's going on? I don't know. It's interesting. You kind of have to like at the same time, like ratchet up how much attention you're paying, but also like 
temper it down because like not everything means something. Mm-hmm. It's really fun though. If, if anyone's listening and like hasn't gone to summer league to go as a fan, I've never gone as a fan, but um, I had some friends come down this year as fans and just do like, like I think they did four days in Vegas and only two days they did summer league sure. because like they're 12 hour days in the arena, but man, it's so much fun. Like the atmosphere there now that like, especially the last couple of years because the Lakers have been really um, mm. heavy on young guys yeah. and they've been a, a good sight to see. But like they set attendance records each of the last two years. It's a great atmosphere and like it's Vegas also. But like you get to walk around and you see so many people that you don't get to see when you're at an NBA game walking around and like ex-players and coaches and stuff like that. Or just like, like Jamario Moon was there every day in a different throwback jersey. Like, you get to see random stuff like that, and, like, Sean Hyken has, like, a, a regular feature he does where he'll just tweet out all the awful jerseys he sees oh, at Summer yeah. League, so it's, like, a chance to wear your worst jersey. It's a lot of fun. If, you have, if anyone hasn't been and, like, is a big basketball fan, it's definitely a trip worth taking. Jamario Moon, were the throwback jerseys his own jersey because he's no. already a throwback? No. Um, <laughs> the only one I remember is that he had a Chris Mullen Golden State jersey Oh, on. that's awesome. Um, he had a Houston one, too, but I forget who it was, and then I saw him a third day, and I forget what jersey it was. It's, like... The weirdest running gag of the week. No, yeah, this year was the first year I think I genuinely watched more than five minutes in passing of a summer league game because it was Lonzo Ball was being hyped and there are all these young guys that like you like seeing the next wave come together and this yeah. was your first exposure to them. Yeah, there are a lot of good reasons to watch it. Like the you know you want to see your rookies progress in when they're in their sophomore year. You want to see how your draft pick is going to look the first time. You want to see. You know, even fringy guys that might have a chance of cracking the roster or fighting for their G League life. Like, everyone there, there's so many different levels of guy there and so many different wrinkles that you're watching. I don't know. It's I find it super interesting and a lot of fun. I spent eight days there this year. That was maybe too long. It's Vegas. You, you find new things to do every day. Man, I, I had maybe three beers. Really? Yeah. It was, it's crazy because you're at the you're at the arena. The game started at like 1230 or 1 local mm. time. And then they don't end until about 10. So you've been there all day. And then for me, I got to go right. So yeah, I think there, were, there was one night I went out with one of the social media guys from one of the teams and like played a couple hands of cards. I dropped like 50 bucks at a table, had a couple beers. And that was it. I went to Gordon Ramsay Burger for lunch one day. And that's, that's pretty much it. Otherwise, everything was at the arena. Well, I, I'm sure you enjoyed the arena. And that, and that's yeah, this is why I recommend yeah. people go as like fans. And like, mm-hmm. then you don't have to be there, right? You know, don't do that last game. Go get a nice dinner stuff like that. It's like Zach Lowe has a rule. I remember he said on a podcast or put in an article or something that like he doesn't do the last game. No, that makes sense. You yeah. need to enjoy the nightlife and get, get a breather from it. Yeah. So speaking of getting a breather, I talked to Greg last week, as I mentioned, and he says the more you write about the seasons, the more cyclical it can get. How do you fight that each year you go into a season? Yeah, that's an interesting question because the Raptors are kind of they're in a spot where it's very cyclical, right? Like, this is going to be the fifth year in a row they've been at roughly the same level. The core is mostly the same. But tweaks on the edges, yeah. Yeah. Um, So part of it is, you know, like, doing different things, like going and doing the G League, or, like, not last year, but the year before, I really pushed myself to do more video work to, like, get better at that aspect of it. This year, I'm trying to teach myself Python right now because I'd like to mess around with more analytics stuff. Just just to see what I can come up with and maybe make some Raptors specific stuff or like answer some questions that we have that we don't have public data for because like everyone by at Allen Calculus keeps getting hired. We don't have all this publicly available data. So things like that, like I, I can't speak for everyone, but like I try to just find things to get better at and push myself that way. 
feature writing from a storytelling perspective is still something I'm not super strong at. Like I'm better writing the analysis and weaving in quotes and stuff like that rather than telling a good story. So that like try to find opportunities to push yourself and get a little bit better. And then, I mean, there's, there are going to be times this year where it feels like a bit of a slog. Like they play like 18 games in December. It's December, January. They have like an 18 game month. Man, that's that's going to be a lot. But we're, we're lucky with two things this year with the schedule in that the Raptors, I don't think, have a homestand longer than three games. Oh. So it, them going home road, home road, really breaks up the, the flow of the season because you're not at the arena like six games in a row and then not there for two mm-hmm. weeks. And then the NBA also moving the trade deadline to before the All-Star break means we can actually take a break now during the All-Star oh. break because we couldn't we couldn't before because it would be the All-Star game and then like three-day gap and then the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do in that time? So this year might actually allow for like a little bit of a breather. But yeah, I, I don't have a good answer, man. I just try to find different ways to push myself or, yeah, I don't know, maybe people can tell me better stuff I should be working on trying to get better at. Maybe you're just not there yet. The more seasons, then it'll become a big Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Last year was the first year that I had, that I was at every single mm-hmm. game. Like, I, I'm still, when I wasn't, I was still watching them all the time. But like, it was like, you know, the year before that, I maybe went to 15 or 20 home games and a dozen practices. So yeah, it might for guys like Eric Green and Ryan Wolstad, Josh Bloomberg, like those guys, it might feel a lot more cyclical, especially like guys who have been in it since this run started. But there will always be something, man. There's always something to write about. Someone will be really good, or someone will be bad, or someone will get hurt. There won't be a trade during the season this year to write about, but you know, something stuff happens. So I couldn't have you on without asking you a couple Raptors questions. Of course, start of 2017 versus start of 2018. Which team do you objectively think is better? I mean, sorry, start of 2016 yeah, I guess. start of 27. So at the moment in time, I think that they're probably a little bit weaker this year. Just like I have defensive concerns. I don't know who steps up as the like, perimeter defender, the, the defender at the forward positions. I do think they have the potential to reach a higher ceiling than that team last year did. Like basically you look at it as they lost Ross. You don't really count Tucker because he wasn't there at the start of the year. They lost Patterson, but they've got a Baca. Mm-hmm. And then their younger players are a little bit older and should be a little bit... Oh, they're a Corey Joseph, too. So you you look at it and, like, the team looks a little different. It's probably... The floor on offense is probably a little higher now with the way Norm's grown, with DeLon in the backup role, and then CJ Miles in there uh, in the Terrence Ross role. But the defensive ceiling is lower, and I think the defensive floor is much lower, which is a concern. Uh, but because the team is pretty young in the back half and, like, the entire second unit might be young guys, like, I think there's an upside there that last year's team, we thought they were going to reach, but then when Kyle Lowry got hurt, on paper, there was, like, a minute where the Raptors looked like their upside was really high, mm-hmm. and then Lowry got hurt, and then it was the playoffs. So this year's team, if there's the internal growth they're hoping for, and then also Lowry, DeRozan, JV, and Ibaka barely played together. I think they played 44 minutes together in the playoffs. And then there were only three games in the regular season that they played together. So, like, the Raptors for so long have had that weakness at the starting power forward position, and they've started games poorly. Their starting lineup has had a net, negative net rating forever. So I know that Ibaka and JV aren't, like, a perfect fit. But on paper, the starting lineup should be good for the first time in a while. Whether it's Powell or Miles in the starting lineup, like, it should be good for a little while, for the first time. So they're probably, like, a, a, a tad worse than this time last year but like I think they're going to be better in April like there's a lot more room for this team to get better and grow together than last year's team at the same point yeah more practice time for them to get more acclimated together and then become a stronger unit overall yeah exactly because like they're they're still fairly young and Abaka hasn't really been there that long and like he's this time last year 
like everyone wanted Ibaka in that in that draft day deal. Like everyone was mad the Raptors didn't get in on that. Like yeah, he's a year older and he's not quite the guy he was in OKC, but like that's a guy to be excited about. You know, at least a couple of these young guys are going to be good. Like Norm Norm's ready for that big role. I'm really high on DeLon. I actually think Fred's a capable backup point guard if mm-hmm. DeLon sputters at all. Yeah, there's room for optimism, even if they're not like like my win projection for them this year right now is two wins fewer than it was last year, if that gives you an idea. Part of that is the East, too. With the East being in the state that it is, does that give them the boost that it's two wins less, basically? Because no, um, I kind of, like, the bottom of the East will be worse, but I think the middle of the East is a little better. Oh, okay. Um, like, the, you know, four through nine in the conference is a little better. I've wavered on their win total a little bit, just because, like, their schedule is one of the easiest in the league. It's yeah. a quality of opponent and travel. Um, they fly the second fewest miles of any team in the league, so like they could manage their fatigue really well and be like great late in the year. But yeah, I have them at forty nine right now, and last year I had them at fifty one, which yeah. hit. Um, so yeah, I mean, like forty nine, I feel like is not optimistic mm-hmm. or pessimistic. I think it's right in line with where the Vegas lines are, and I've kind of bounced between forty eight and fifty, but they're basically the same as last year. No, that's fair. So if you had the keys to the ignition, you were the GM. You're playing armchair GM right now. How would you lay out your perfect offseason at the start of the offseason? Like for this past offseason? For off this season? past offseason. That's tough. How, how similar do you think it would have been to what actually happened? Uh, it would have been pretty similar. I, I would have, as long as Kyle Lowry was willing to sign for like only up to three years or like if he pushed for turn like under, like you weren't Not get, the you were getting a far sub max. Yeah. Like you weren't getting 30 million. I kind of had in my head like 5-150 would have been like like the worst case scenario that I would have been like, okay, I get why they signed him. But like, even that I would not have had the stomach for it. But basically if Lowry signed anything on three years, I would like keep him. The Lowry domino would kind of dictate everything. If he's, if he was to walk, I don't think the team's good enough to warrant trying to stay good and win 42, 43. I, I love DeMar, but this team without Kyle Lowry is, I mean, you could say the same, this team without DeMar would take a step back too. And it wouldn't have made a lot of sense to invest in a Baca. So um, because they were in a weird spot where, like, they didn't have cap space, like, if all four of the free agents had walked, they would only have, like, $19 million in cap space. So there was no scenario where, like, it was, like, let Kyle walk and sign this guy or let Serge walk and sign this guy. Mm-hmm. It was keep as many of the guys together as you can or don't. And then, you know, you play around with the mid-level exception. And I don't love the idea of trading of trading two picks away to get rid of Damari Carroll. Um, I get why they did it because... Mm-hmm. $50 million in savings. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and that's pre-tax. So yeah. that's like that's the salary savings and then mm. not accounting for the fact that they would have been $15 million under the tax right now. I thought that was. It was the $30 million in contract and then it was the $20 million. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I forget what the exact number yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. I thought you meant the $15 million he was making. This oh, year. sorry. I denunciate. Sorry. Oh, you said 50. Five zero. Oh, yeah. That makes more sense. And, you know, you look at what draft picks get bought for on draft night. Well, two picks for $50 million is pretty mm. good. So, you know, CJ Miles is a guy that I've kind of been thirsty for on the Raptors for a long time. So, like, mm. he's a nice get in that spot. I mean, it, it more or less went to form, really. I don't, uh, like, I, I can't sit here and be like, this is a move. I probably, the relationship was strained by the end of the year. But at the price Patrick Patterson ended up coming in at, like, it's hard to see him leave at that price, given what he's contributed the last couple of years. Mm. But, like, Patrick Patterson is not, like, a franchise maker or breaker. And then, I mean, Tucker, there was nothing you could do. You offered him more, and he, he left. So um, it would have been pretty similar anyway. I don't think uh, Pat Pat maybe takes the same deal from the Raptors. I don't know. I feel I like, don't think so. I, yeah. I thought maybe there was room for him to sign, like, 
a one-year higher dollar yeah. amount and then re-hit free agency after a better year. Mm. But then the Raptors would have been deep into the tax, and I'm not sure it was realistic. Yeah, I mean, really, they were hamstrung, right? Like, if you, you could keep exactly the same team together, or you could sell off stuff for nothing mm-hmm. and try to add. And, like, I know Miles isn't, like, a sexy addition, but... They were, they were in a tough spot if they were going to keep Lowry, Ibaka, and DeRozan. This is, this is the CBA reality when you're going to pay $80 million to your top three years. So. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So another guy you were thirsty for uh, was Boris Diaw. He unfortunately signed with the Paris Levois, if I'm yeah. saying that right. He does have an NBA out, though, so the dream lives on. Really? Yeah. So how hard were you, like, wishing that actually came to fruition? I mean, like, like, how did he not get a cheap... Anything like I mean, he's an interesting enough dude that like I'm sure maximizing the salary wasn't the only thing he was focused on with that mm. deal. Um, and his play, especially the defensive end, had deteriorated a little bit to where like probably no one was promising him a big role. And mm. in France, he can he'll be the point center on that team, I'm sure. But yeah, that, that it would have been fun. I totally get like right now, even they have a 20th roster squad open and they haven't signed a veteran like uh, you know. Tony Allen ended up getting more money, but like people mm. kept asking me about Tony Allen, for example. Um, and I get why they didn't want to use that on a veteran and save the money and stuff, but DR would have been a, a fun guy to have around. Someone with an espresso machine in his locker that I could, I could hit up. It would have been good. Like, on court, he was not going to play a big enough role anyway where his style of basketball would have had the chance to be all that contagious. It's not like this fun passing center who's your fifth big is going to be patient zero yeah. for the passing outbreak on the team, right? But he would have been fun. He's an immensely interesting dude. No, for sure. And I feel like he just would have been a good mentor for people like Pascal and those guys. That yeah. Would, it would have made sense for a, a young vet who's... Not a young vet, a, a vet who's actually won at the highest level yeah. to instill that knowledge. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think they probably hope Serge plays that That's a little bit. True. I know Serge doesn't want to ring, but yeah, he's... You know, that guy's playoff tested, and he speaks five languages, so there's no one in the locker room he won't be able to, to talk to. Yeah, and, and that's something they kind of haven't had. They didn't have it last year, really, either, until P.J. Tucker got there. Right. The year before was Scola. So, yeah, it's, I think it's an important role to have, but I think, too, as, like, at a certain point, you hope DeMar and Kyle are those guys, too, because they've been through it now. Like, between those two and Serge, they probably feel they have that. I'm thinking about this now. We don't have anyone who's won a championship on the roster with Corey gone, do we? I don't think uh, so. CJ Miles hasn't. And definitely none of the young guys. And no. That's weird. No, unless I'm drawing a blank on someone. I can't think of anyone. That, that, that's something that, hey, that's a potential yeah. t- article topic. <laughs> yeah. No one on this team knows what it takes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Serge has been there. Like, yes. He has made the finals, and he yeah. did play two of the best games I've ever seen against the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, that was a, when he, that was, when he, he was came back. Life, yeah. yeah, that was, oh my god, that, that sold me on him for life. So, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, it sucked all of his <laughs> bounce. Um, and that's when we get him. Yeah. <laughs> Hi there. Sorry for interrupting the interview with Blake. Just wanted to say, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoyed the content so far. If you do and are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, if you could be so kind to give us a review, it would definitely mean a lot. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the podcast and welcome to the family. Feel free to catch up on old episodes and share the podcast with as many people as you like. Thanks, and let's get back to the interview. Who Did you ever have a favorite player growing up or like who was that? I guess you covered all sports, so maybe you didn't like have that one guy, but... Do you have a favorite Raptor of all time? 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if I even start watching basketball if it's not for Vince. Mm. So, like, drama aside and the exit, like, Vince is definitely, like, the guy who is most important. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of, like, while they were with the Raptors, Jose Calderon, for sure. Like, I had that when they did their preseason games in Europe. Like, I had a Jose Calderon, like, Spanish-style jersey where, like, the side markings were the Spanish flag. And, like... I'm, like, a quarter Spanish, not enough to care that Jose Calderon is Spanish. But that's how, like, I asked for it. I was like, hey, yeah, get me this for, for Christmas. Play um, it up as much as possible, yeah. Yeah, and I had a, I had a dog, uh, a pug chihuahua, while he was with the Raptors, and I named him Jose. Because oh. um, I thought it was, I thought it fit. Yeah, so I, he's probably the one that, like, in that moment was my, was my favorite Raptor. It's hard, it's hard to, like, have a current one now because... Also, Jose, when he comes back, is still really great to talk to. We... I got a conversation with him last year when he came back once, and he was talking about um, his free throw. Someone asked him about the free throw made a record, and the person, like, got the number wrong, and he, like, corrected them, and then there was, like, a... And, like, I was like, hold up, I'll look it up. And we were, like, basically going through free throw trivia. But, yeah, it would be weird for me now to have a favorite Raptor, I think, just because, like, I have to kind of be objective and like removed from it and like i have to be like i mean i think it comes across pretty clearly that like baby is a guy that i enjoy talking to and i believe in his game but like when baby acts a fool and does stupid stuff and picks up four fouls and puts about it like i have to be able to write about that so i can't really can't really have a guy that i like really i mean i root for all of them because i was a raptor fan first and the further they go the more money i'll make <laughs> so i'm rooting for all of them anyway but <laughs> so at full health who do you think would have gone more minutes, Bruno or OG? OG, if they were at full health, OG for sure. I still think OG will probably beat him mm-hmm. by the end. Um, the team is like super high. Really? Yeah, and like I don't, like, I, don't I understand have, why, but yeah, I don't have a firm update on where he is in his rehab. Um, but apparently, the stuff he's been able to do is encouraging. And like mm-hmm. back as far as summer league, he was set shooting already, oh. and like he was able to cut and stuff. So I don't know what the exact timeline is. He's definitely going to do rehab time in the nine oh five, but. Yeah, like they're unless Bruno Bruno's probably not going to spend much D league time this year, if at all. Uh, so he's going to have the first crack. Like if you drop the the depth chart on the first night of the season, he'll probably be small forward too. Mm-hmm. It's just the way. Or I mean, Miles Powell and DeRozan wing four. If you want to call them that, or forward five, forward three, or something, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruno will be like the tenth man on paper. He will have to show something really quickly for like OG not to come back and. Take those minutes, or whoever makes the team out of McKinney and McDaniels for one of them to not take those minutes. So I would lean OG. I just think like I mean I think as weird as it is being younger, like he's already a little more polished and like like certain defensively. Mm. Bruno has still has great defensive potential, and like I actually think his defense is much closer to NBA ready than his offense. Uh, but like OG has the potential to be like a good defender right away, and very few rookies are. So like, everyone should have some patience with it. But if OG's good, I think it just opens up so much for them, like, lineup versatility-wise, that, like, if Bruno hits, what Bruno's going to be doesn't fundamentally change things for them. But, like, OG could be a piece. So I think he'll get a chance once he's healthy. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Bruno just, like, takes off, which is amazing. Well, I mean, that last game of last season in the uh, D-League, yeah. yeah. then, I guess. Yeah. 30 points in the, in the final. Um, but even then, like... In game one of that series, like, he had a similar incident to, like, he had with the Brazil team. Yeah. Where, like, he the emotional maturity still isn't there. Like, physically, he looks great, and his basketball skills are coming along. He's still, uh, on offense, it looks a little bit sometimes like he's moving in slow motion still, like, mm-hmm. um, reading the floor. Like, his drives are a little methodical. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, defensively, he's got length. He's learned the... 
you know, when to help and to help the helper and stuff like that. He's gotten a lot better on that side. So I, I actually think, like, I still have some hope that Bruno could be, like, a back-end rotation player as, like, he can shoot. He's shot a high volume of threes at, like, 33 34%. And, like, he's super long and is learning defense. It's, it's still worth the experiment. Like, no, for sure. I just think, like, OG's upside is immensely higher and his, he might be better now. He's probably better now, so he'll get the chance when he's healthy. And we're also the, the, the fourth year and two years away, two years away. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, next, that's a joke, but, like, it yeah. was a four-year experiment. It was. So this is kind of the year. Well, if anything, next year's the year it's actually supposed to come together. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and when that's when he'll be a free agent and it'll all yes. work out. It'll I mean, I'm, I'm still curious enough about it that, like, I wonder if Masai slides him an extension offer before October 31st. Right. And it's, like, just, like, $2 million a year. It would be, like, a historically low extension for a pre-RFA guy to sign. But... It would be something guaranteed and whatever happens, happens. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we're committing to seeing this through a little longer. Mm-hmm. You can... Because, I mean, I don't know how much Bruno will worry about it, but because he's, you know, not... Like, he's still a little emotional sometimes. I don't love the idea of him playing, looking over his shoulder at OG without certainty. And obviously... Mm-hmm. Bruno Caboclo, the Bruno Caboclo experiment is not how you dictate your team and what you no. do. But if the Raptors still believe that by next year he can be a back end rotation piece, like or even a uh, Brazilian Kevin Durant, you know, yeah, I think that's a thing. No. Well, I mean, we've got a young uh, Kawhi Leonard and OG. We got a, so we're we're just building a super team. It's just a couple years away. Yeah. Um, what is it? Raptors fan love to compare Norm to Westbrook. Do they? I, I mean, when Norm, I don't see that. At yeah, all. I've seen it in the comments. Yeah, people argue. Usually, it's when like Norm's not playing. It's like, yeah, man, he could be our Westbrook. I mean, I like Norm. Yeah. Oh my god, that, that that one's out there. I, yeah, I, I don't like. I just think about this. I don't see that comparison really at all. I get that they're ball handlers, maybe. Yeah, but very different play styles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. All right, well, on to the next question. <laughs> so which pick will look worse looking back? So everyone loves to uh, remind us that we picked Rafael Rougeau ahead of Iggy, or Andre Iguodala. Yeah. But we actually picked DeAndre Daniels ahead of Nikola Jokic. Yeah. The, the Rougeau one will always look worse because, like, everyone knows the second round is kind of a crapshoot. And it's like, it goes back to, I think, I can't remember if it was Jerry West or Joel Pope, but someone said about the Draymond Green pick. Like, they get a lot of credit for that. Mm-hmm. But, like, they picked Festus Azeli a couple picks before Draymond. They had multiple picks. Mm-hmm. So, like, if they were really that on to Draymond, they would have taken him with the earlier pick. And, like, there's a scenario in which one of those other teams jumps on him mm-hmm. in between those picks, and Golden State doesn't become what they become. And it's, uh, like, it's a thing, too, with, like, the Patriots and Tom Brady. Oh, the Patriots found this guy in the seventh round. If they really thought that highly of him, they probably would have picked him earlier than that just to be safe. So it's the same thing with Jokic. Mm-hmm. It's like if everyone was in agreement that Jokic was going to be anywhere near this good, he wouldn't, like, he wouldn't have gone there. So you can't yeah. really get mad at any one team for passing him up. Um, I didn't. I really didn't like the DeAndre, DeAndre Daniels pick at the time anyway, not because I was like super high on Nikola Jokic, yeah. <laughs> but because I didn't like DeAndre Daniels as NBA player. Yeah. Well, no, they literally picked him to stash him because he was a second-round pick, right? They sent him off to Australia. Australia, yeah. yeah. And then he hasn't been able to get healthy. And He played in the Italian second division last year, but they, they renounced his rights. Like, he's free That's now. what I was going to say, yeah. So that's a, that's a beautiful use of the pick. So the last question Raptors-related I have for you is, where does JV fit in the modern NBA? You've seen it the last couple of years. His role hasn't changed for, like, four seasons now. Yeah. Set, like, be a... 
maybe the best, one of the best screen setters in the NBA, be a top 15 rebounder at each end of the floor, mm. and then, you know, score efficiently with the opportunities you get. I don't, like, you see, you can see guys like him still having a place. Like, just because they're not prototypical anymore, like, Ennis Cantor's role is important for Oklahoma City. They need someone to score when Russ is off the floor, mm-hmm. and they need someone to prop up that second unit. In, in Milwaukee, Greg Monroe is more, more multifaceted than JV, but like him moving to the bench has really opened things up for not for what they can do in the starting lineup, and then what their playmaking can look like without Giannis on the floor. Like they run so much of their corner offense through Greg Monroe. The Magic haven't really found like as niche a thing with Vucevic, uh, but you see these guys still having roles, and like the that the fact that JV hasn't carved out a larger or the team hasn't given him a larger usage despite the efficiency. Uh, I mean, we all talked at the death, but the blame goes both ways. Like, yes, very much, especially like DeRozan in the pick and roll in particular could look for him more on the roll, but JD's scoring efficiency in the post has declined for a couple of years. And he's fairly turnover prone for someone with his, you know, mix of touches and he's not a great passer improving, but like, I don't, I don't necessarily think they should be carving out post-ups for him uh, when this team's problem is already ball movement, but definitely finding him on the roll more, finding him as a cutter more. Um, Lithuania ran like a nice little pet set where there was like a cross screen on the baseline to get him really deep post position, technically a post-up, but really he's cutting into a deep post position and then getting fed mm-hmm. where he's already at the basket. And the Raptors have some wrinkles like that. Like they do more split cuts over top of him when he posts up, but like really it's going to be diving to the rim. And then defensively, he kind of is what he is. Like, I don't think he, he reads the game out of suit. Like, I think I think that, the anticipation and the awareness is the limiting factor just as much as any athleticism or whatever. Because, mm-hmm. like, he has okay rim protection numbers. It's not... So he's a guy that, you know, for four years we've seen what he is. And just because he's not a perfect fit... And, like, I, I've written about how he's not a perfect fit and how entering this offseason it would have maybe made sense to unload him if he still had value to get something back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's not a useful player. He's young, he scores efficiently with the touches he gets, and he's an elite rebounder and screen setter. So that's, I mean, that's it. It might not be, it might not be a 25% usage guy, but he's like, he's really good in the role that he has. And honestly, like, it was one off season ago that we were all crying saying, if he was there, we would have been the Cavaliers. So Yeah. And like, he has games like that, and he has stretches. Like, he had one game in the Eurobasket where he just like looked like a different dude and was just dominating and way more assertive and... I don't know how much of that is, like, like he's a team-first guy very much, so I don't think he's, like, complaining about his touches. But I know that it's also, like, important to him that, like, he wants to be an all-star. He's not going to be, but, like... So I don't, I don't know how that dynamic works, like, with... You know, there are some people of the mind that, like, you got to get... Like, you hear Leo Rounds always talk about it. Like, you got to get JV the first touch so he's engaged and stuff like that. And, like, I don't know how many people think strongly about that. So, and, and I think, like, in efficiency terms and in terms of just keeping the offense varied, like, it would make sense to get him a little more involved this year, but not, like, I'm not talking, like, a bump from 19% usage to 25% usage. You just, mm-hmm. like, find him more on the roll. Look mm-hmm. for him more. He's pretty efficient around the room. No, he, he does a good job at what he, what he does. Yeah, and I, you know, just because a guy's upside isn't super high doesn't mean he's not useful. I think we, I think Raptors... The Raptors discourse kind of forgets that sometimes when it comes to JV. It's just like, you can be good and you can be, you can not reach your ceiling through a fault of your own, or you could not reach your ceiling because of team context or whatever, but you could still also be good while those other things are going on. I think it's just because we've seen all, well, one, we were prepared for the hype with Brian Colangelo hyping up and everything, but the trade we rejected because we believed in the hype of JV. 
I think that feeds into the general discourse of the J. Yeah, there's that too, and there's like there's been a little bit of a pattern of of young guys not like kind of hitting a plateau early on with the mm. Raptors. Terrence Ross and JV both had the same line the whole time. James Johnson flourished when he left, stuff like that. So people could see a pattern and like think, oh, maybe JV would average twenty and ten on you know the Nets or whatever, and mm. maybe that's true. But like, kind of have to look at the picture the Raptors are looking at right now, and JV's useful. And I did have one last question sure. before the last question. Okay. How has the culture reset in really any way? Yeah, so I wrote, a, I wrote a thing about this a couple months ago for The Athletic. I sat mm-hmm. down with Dwayne Casey at Summer League and talked to him about it. I mean, Masai will tell you that it, he didn't mean it as much as we ran with it. And it was more about like a way of thinking about the game. And the Raptors, um, at Hoop Talks last night when I was talking to Keith Boyarski, the Raptors uh, VP of Basketball Strategy and Research, he's kind of heading up this player development side, that, and they're going to be doing some things differently on the player development side. And that's part of the culture reset. Um, they're going to have someone from the analytics team on the second row of the bench this year, um, Eric Curry, who's a super smart dude. And um, they did this with a video guy moving one to the second row of the bench a couple years ago. So he's going to be on the bench now, just helping funnel information and be there as a resource. So the culture reset is kind of about all these little things, um, about how they approach things and how they're going to look for an edge in a cap environment and stuff like that. The I'm, I'm sure you know Masai never uses the word regret. I'm sure he would like to have used different words when he said culture reset. But like this is why you shouldn't do media with the GM the day after you're eliminated, right? Um, so I think on the court they're going to talk up more threes and they're going to talk up more passing. I'm skeptical about the level of passing. I think CJ Miles is going to be a phenomenal fit. Like volume that that guy shoots a hot, a good percentage of threes at is like, like we don't have access to like gravity data from Sportview mm-hmm. or whatever, but I'd imagine he's close to the top for like a non-star player in terms really? of gravitate. He's shot like 50% from the corners last year on mm-hmm. a high volume. And like, he's like that, like he, he has no conscience about shooting it, which means like, do you get caught on a screen? You better scramble the hell out. Of it. So like, I would bet if that were, like, if we had access to gravity for non, if you classified non-star players, he'd be very close to the top. Like, Corbett's going to be number one, but Miles is going to be up there for sure. Like, the impact on the defense from just standing there with the three-point line. Nice. No, yeah. that that's that seems like yeah. exactly what we needed. It'd yeah. be P.J. Tucker, but someone that actually people respect. Because <clears throat> P.J. was hitting his threes while he was here, but, but he wasn't really respected for them. Yeah, exactly. Think. Yeah, you're not, like, it, it was a situation where... The corner three would be there every time because the other team's like, okay, well, if PJ Tucker shoots the corner three, that's an okay outcome for us. Mm. All right, so to close out every episode of the podcast, I have my guests ask the next guest a question. Okay. Your question comes to us from Greg Wyshynski over at Puck Daddy Blog. Which is your favorite science fiction movie that primarily takes place in space? Oh, boy. Mine was Moonraker, and that was just on the spot. And I, I kind of regret the answer, but I'll stick with Man, it. Man, I'm really not a science fiction guy. <laughs> um, that takes place in space. The Space Jam count? It, I'll, I'll allow it, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that takes place on Earth, not in space. I guess that's a cheap one. Yeah. Oh, not. Well, I'm yeah. really, like, I'm so not science. Like, I've never seen a Star Wars movie. Wow. Or a Star Trek movie. That's breaking news right there. Yeah. So I'm not the right... I'm trying to think. There's, there have got to be some that, like... I've definitely seen, and I'm just drawing a blank on. Man, space movies suck. This is my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I could just leave it as that. There's not like that many that like popped into my head initially. I was like maybe Interstellar, but that's not like a movie I would say I genuinely liked. It was just like it was a good movie. Also, like I don't know, maybe Space Jam does. Like Men in Black is on here, is on this list of movies in outer space, but that doesn't take place in outer space, right? No. We'll um, allow it. We'll, we'll we'll allow a Space Jam, whatever you want. It's, yeah. 
Even okay. that, yeah. Um, yeah, so either, I mean, Space Jam, if it counts. Otherwise, I mean, I don't, space movies aren't good. But, um, like, Chronicles of Riddick, maybe? Like, the hilarity of that era of Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. Vin, any Vin Diesel I'll stand for. No, that's... I actually, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies I saw, and they were okay. I don't really, like, normally like comic book movies or science, mm-hmm. science fiction movies. Those are fun. The thing about that is wasn't the worst like, answer to a question on your podcast. No, uh, maybe, but you know what? We're going to get past it. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so do you have a question for the next guest? Okay, this is a question I like asking people this all the time just so I can find new music and stuff, and it's something I try to do on Twitter and ask people regularly. Uh, favorite album of 2017 so far? Ooh, great question. We're late enough in the year that the, the answer now will carry weight, right? Like, there are good albums still to come, but... I think mine's damn. I think that, okay. that that's a standout, yeah. Yeah, it's it's up there for sure. And I saw Kendrick for the first time a couple weeks ago. I was going to say, we were both at the same concert. Nice. That was just awesome. awesome, man. I heard such good things about the live show he, put on, mm-hmm. he puts on and like, was not disappointed. Um, it was funny. It was it was the hardest thing, convincing a friend to go with me to this. Really? Yeah, because like, everyone either went to the first one with their significant other or they just didn't want to blow like 100 bucks on a ticket because we're all still like a month out of university. Yeah. Because it was the hardest thing, I was like, you know what? I worked my ass off this summer. I wanted to treat myself. I bought like 10th row tickets. Nice. I was right in front of us. It was nice. I was on the floor, but I was at like the very back of the floor. Yeah. Like kind of beside the sound booth. Which so, is still a good spot to be Oh, in. I'm sure, yeah. So you would have been like really close when he came out and did like, the he just lifted I, up on the... That was the thing. I was in that row where there's like that little bit of open space so people could walk between. So I was like, I think 12th row or something. Nice. So I was one perfectly situated for the front part. And then I just had to turn around and I was even closer to the awesome. back part. So I loved my spot and I loved how it worked out. Yeah. All right. Well, Blake, thank you for... Oh, I got to give an answer for best album, right? If right. you would okay. like to answer. No, no, that's cool. That's cool. I might even you answered, so I wasn't sure if I had to answer too. I, I've casually been answering the questions as okay. I would go on because, like, apparently I don't say enough on my own podcast. I just ask the other person it's questions. It's a balance of strike, man. It is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I've wasted more than enough of your time. Uh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me.